The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. And now, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. Well, in the first half of our program today, we're going to talk about dogs and what dogs know. My guest is Kat Warren. Her book is What the Dog Knows, Scent, Science, and the Amazing Ways that Dogs Perceive the World. Kat Warren is a professor at the North Carolina State University, where she teaches science journalism and creative nonfiction. She's also a cadaver dog handler. She lives with her husband, David, and two German Shepherds, Solo and Coda. She recently lost Solo in Durham. And you can log on to catwarren.com. Welcome, Kat. Hi, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. Now, I'm sure everybody asks you this, but isn't it interesting that you write about dogs and your name is Cat? Yes, and even more interesting that as an adult, I became allergic to cats, even though I love them. So, yeah, it's been noted what is your, before. Is your name Catherine? My my full name is Catherine, and I was Kathy growing up. And as an adult, like in my 20s, I became Cat. So it's been That's a few amazing. years now. It's amazing. Now... Where, when did your interest in dogs begin? Were you a little girl? Were you a teenager? Were you an adult? How did that all happen? You know, we, I grew up with dogs. And what was interesting is my family had um, Labradors kind of hunting dogs when I was a small child. And then when I was 10 or 11, I got my first dog who was a miniature dachshund. <laughs> And we had Irish setters, so it was very funny that as an adult in my 20s, I had fallen in love with German shepherds, and I got my first shepherd when I was in my 20s and never looked back. Mm -hmm. Now, in your book, you use your dog Solos, who just passed, story as an entry into the world of working dogs. And so let's talk about, I, I know it's hard because Solo just passed, but Talk about why Solo and why Solo was so instrumental in this book. Yeah, it's so, um, and I speak of him with, even a week and a half later, um, just with such pleasure. He was an amazing dog, but as a pup, when my husband and I first got him, he was a complete pill because he was a singleton pup. He was the only pup in his litter, and it means that he had no, none of the practical doggy interaction that pups get by communicating with each other about what's proper and improper behavior. And um, so Solo was really, um, I call him Little Dark Prince. 
he really thought that he was in charge of everything and king of the world. Other pups really help cut pups down to size, and Solo came into our lives um, kind of like a little freight train. And Mm. how it started was trying to figure out a way to work with who he was. Mm. You know, your, your book has gotten a lot of press, a lot of readers. Why do you think that is? Do you think there's a tremendous interest in dogs? Do you think it's increased or improved? What do you think? Because it's gotten tremendous coverage. Well, I think a couple of things. One is that um, people do love dogs. And so it's always true that a story about a dog is going to have certain people who go, where's the next dog book? I think above and beyond that, one of the things that I did with this book is it's about 20 to 25% about Solo and me and my learning how to work with him and how we became partners together um, doing this work in the world of scent. But part of it is because um, dogs to me are this amazing entree into history and science and just the world that I'm kind of curious about. And Solo's nose and his personality was my entree into all of these other worlds, the world of law enforcement and um, canines who are patrol dogs. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's kind of an answering those questions that there are even people who are not totally in love with dogs who are drawn to this book. And to me, um, I love that. I, mm-hmm. I don't think automatically that it should only be for dog lovers. Well, as you said, there are a lot of things that dogs do for people. You might not be a dog lover, but you know you, you may know somebody who has a service dog, and that yeah. service dog has helped that person tremendously, so then you would have an interest. Yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Now, you, um, you love German Shepherds. Why German Shepherds? It is, it is so odd. Look, first of all, I think, you know, as when I was a teenager, it's like I wanted a pet wolf which really is a terrible, terrible idea. Um, no, don't want to get there's always, always that fantasy of the, of, the, of the sort of the mythic wolf. And the German Shepherd to me was such a interesting, smart, kind of independent and yet loyal dog that, I, you know, I had this fantasy of what they were like. And, and then when I got my first one, you know, you start working with them and you think, I like what this dog is and does. And so I've never fallen out of love. Mm. And I think it's habit. You know, I think people, you know, you, people get a breed that they become attached to and then it's like, it, it can be hard to step away and go, you know what? A Labrador would be a wonderful pet too. Yeah, and I I think, you know, I don't know if there's been a study on this. I'm sure there has. But if you the kind of dog you pick probably matches your personality in some way. Yes, or or sometimes a compliment, right? That you pick a dog who who highlights some of your weaknesses in some ways, right? Um, I'm I'm short and sociable and I'm not terribly aloof. And, you know, I pick a dog breed that's... um, fairly large and can be 
you, you know, it's the kind of dog who doesn't automatically go, everybody's my friend. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. We all have our own interesting. I always think that I don't have a dog, that I probably would get a little one because I'm petite, you know, like a Pomeranian or, um, you know, Cavalier or something like that. <laughs> it was beautiful. Yeah. My sister-in-law is a Pomeranian, and she adores that dog. Yeah. It's a great it's a great little dog. Yeah. Now, your title is What the Dog Knows, Scent, Science, and the Amazing Ways Dog Perceive the World. So let's start with scent. Tell us something about S-C-E-N-T. Tell us something about scent and dogs. Well, we know, and increasingly we know more and more, that dogs have excellent noses and that if they're trained properly, we're finding out that they can detect anything from bed bugs to narcotics. We knew that for a long time. But even, for instance, endangered and invasive species that um, a dog can help find those. Um, and that this is, the, this is the species that wants to work alongside us, right? So we, we have animals that have better noses than dogs and, you know, the bear or pigs. Okay. But because of the way the dogs evolved with us, it's, it, the dog is a, sort of the perfect sidekick. Um, and I think that what we're finding even is that properly trained, um, dogs can detect things like um, incipient diabetes attacks, right? Low blood sugar in a human. And I think that as we learn more and do a better job of realizing sort of the cognitive capacities of dogs and how to train them, that um, they are really helpful in ways that I think just in the last decade we're starting to understand even more. Well, you know, they have the extra senses that we may not have, correct? You know, because they don't have the verbal ability that we have. So there may be other senses that are more refined than ours, like scent. I I think that's right. And, you know, the fact is, is that we could do better, and some of us do, using our own noses, right? But the dog, for a very long time, has depended on its nose, and then we get to, in turn, (laughs) depend on the dog's nose. All right, we've got a couple of minutes to break, and then we're going to come back with you. But tell us one thing about the next word, which is science and the dog. Give us a scientific fact that we is interesting about the dog. Well, I think a scientific fact is that we think we know how good the dog's nose is, but it's still kind of a black box. So one of the great things is to start to understand how the dog's nose works and that in a way we still haven't completely cracked that code um and so i love that it's a kind of emerging science um that the science of scent is something that we've ignored to some degree because we're you know we're in the western world and we're turning to it now and going oh my goodness this is pretty interesting stuff Mm. Any any other fact about science and the dog in terms of their longevity, for example? In terms of, of their longevity? How long they live. Well, you know, we're, we're learning, and there are people who specialize in this. They don't live long enough. But what we are learning is that 
that diet and health and exposure um, to chemicals and all of these things um, can really play a role in how long a dog lives and that there are ways that we could be doing um, better than we're doing. And well, the, the same dogs, with humans, right, Kat? I mean, it's the same with humans. It is. It is. And, you know, treating, treating dogs in a healthy way is a great way to also sort of treat humans in a healthy way, right? And watching our exposure to things. And, you know, dogs and cancer and humans and cancer, it's so very similar, right? Um, so, again, I think we're watching studies that are coming forth about military dogs, for instance, mm. and what kinds of things are happening to them and what that may help us understand about what service people were exposed to, for instance, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm. Wow. All right, we're going to take a break. And I just before we do, I just want to say that Rebecca Sklute raved about what the dog knows, which is Cat Warren's book in the New York Times, and called it a moving story of how one woman, Cat Warren, transformed her troubled dog into a loving companion and an asset to society, all while stumbling on the beauty of life in their searches for death. So very interesting. It's like, you know, having an autistic child cat, right? (laughs) Or having a troubled child and you took a troubled dog and, and transformed him. And that's such a gift. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Tell people how they can get your book. We're coming back with Cat Warren. And she is the author of What the Dog Knows, Scent, Science, and the Amazing Ways Dog Perceives the World. And next we're going to talk about what are some ways that Cat has found that dogs do perceive the world. And the website, Cat, is? CatWarren.com. C-A-T-W-A-R-R-E-N.com. All right. You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, brought to you by VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. Stay tuned, folks. More with Cat Warren right after the break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth reality, and 21st century archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
You are listening to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second half of our first half hour. And my guest is Kat Warren. Her book is What the Dog Knows, Scent, Science, and the Amazing Ways that Dogs Perceive the World. Kat Warren is a professor at North Carolina State University, where she teaches science, journalism, and creative nonfiction. She's also a cadaver dog handler, and she uh, has two German Shepherds. She lost one of them, Solo, who's the mainstay of the book, so you'll have to read about Solo in the book. And uh, you can log on to catwarren.com. Welcome back, Kat. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's talk about the third part of this subtitle, which is what the dog knows. We talked about scent. We talked about science and the amazing ways dog perceive the world. Give us one of those amazing ways or amazing stories. Well, one of the things that when I was researching the book and then actually working with Solo that I loved was that Solo is a cadaver dog. So... Um, Explain that here, for listeners who don't know. Yes, yeah, so so if somebody is missing and presumed dead, Solo for many years went out with me on searches for those people who were missing. And it's very specific that obviously um, dogs can be trained to, to sniff anything. And in this case, um, humans who are deceased... Um, emit a particular scent, even though it's really complex. So in the case of Solo, we would often go out for, for instance, on homicides or if somebody had Alzheimer's or um, cases of the missing. I mean, there were sort of a variety of them. But one of the things that fascinated me as I started researching the book was that dogs are also very good at finding very ancient remains. So unmarked graves of, for instance, Civil War soldiers um, or, I mean, people who have been gone for several hundred years. And if you think about how that can happen, um, and I've watched dogs work in unmarked cemeteries, and I've watched the kind of ways their dog their noses work and let me just let me just ask you a question let me just ask you a question about that is that with that with that are those dogs trained for example you'll go into an airport or you'll go into a train station or a bus station and you'll see a a, you know you'll see policemen with dogs that are trained to sniff drugs so how how do you train this dog specifically for for dogs who are missing or dogs who are dead, as opposed to dogs who who are helping with with drug, you know, r- drug retrieval. Well, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward in that if you're training a dog to find, for instance, cocaine, you will reward that dog once you expose it to the cocaine, say in a you know in a bucket, 
and the dog finds it and sniffs it, and you say, good dog, that's what I want you to find. In the case of human remains, you're actually, depending on what state you live in and what the laws are in that particular state, you're exposing that dog from with to everything from, say, human teeth to dry bone up to, say, fresh blood, right? Mm. And it's an incredible range of sense. Um, and so it can take a little longer because cadaver dogs really, it's a pretty complicated range, as you can imagine. Uh, but again... A dog like that, and that's what it, and that's the amazing way these ways they perceive the world is. I sort of view their nose and brain like this pinball machine, and when a dog gets a number of these things that it recognizes, it's like the music goes off in their head, and they go, "That's the thing I'm looking for." And in the case of the missing, um, who can have been missing for any number of years or might even be a clandestine burial or something like that, the dog is looking for that scent that it's been rewarded for finding. And so for the dog, it's this elaborate game because the dog Mm -hmm. is going to get a toy reward or a tug toy or sometimes a treat, right? And so the dog associates it simply with that positive reinforcement, that game. And for us humans, we're trying to make sure that the dog always knows that here's this complicated range of scents, but you find this and nothing else. We're not interested in you finding a deer bone, right? We only want you to find the thing that's human. The dog really, that's what's kind of amazing, that the dog's brain can sort that out. Um so you and it tell really is the a dog, collaboration between the brain the and the dog, nose. So you say to the dog, this is what I want you to look for. You actually verbalize that to the dog? Well, sure, you do. Um, so say with, with Solo, I started him on buckets. And one of the buckets had actually um, a wisdom tooth in it with a little bit of gauze that came from the, wrapped around the wisdom tooth. And all the other buckets had nothing in them. And taking him down the row of buckets, and when he dips his nose in the bucket that has the tooth, and he goes, hmm, what's that smell? The moment you can see his little mind going, oh, that's interesting, you say, good dog, and give the reward, right? And so all training is is doing that more and more in increasingly complex places so that pretty soon the dog is going into a small field, right, and finding that tooth in a small field instead of in a bucket. Yeah. Um, and then finding it, that tooth in a warehouse, right? So it is, it's a kind of both really simple and really complex thing. And I, when I say the amazing ways is that it always astonishes me watching dogs work where I think, how could they possibly work that problem out and then they well, do. And, it, and it's interesting because in that sense, I have to tell you, it's so different from people because we get the training from people, but many times we don't follow it. So, for example, we know that someone wants us to do something a certain way. The dog would just do it. But we, our brain says, I don't think I'm going to do that today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have, I, Solo, Solo was such a marvelous sort of 
one-trick dog. He was so into this. He was so into the game that he would really work for a very long period of time um, to find that. My female, Coda, on the other hand, and I'm working with her, but she is a little bit sometimes like a human. She'll go, I'm not sure I feel like doing that today. Yeah, yeah. So, so they can be like people. Now, Kat, what... What inspired you to do cadaver work? I mean, that's interesting. You know, you're working with you're working with people who are deceased, and that's not for everybody. I think that's exactly right. That it's not for everybody. And you know, to say that it was serendipitous sounds lighthearted, but it was truly that I ran into a trainer who suggested that I do this with solo. Greatly because he was dog aggressive and we needed to find something for him to do where he wasn't necessarily working right alongside other dogs, right? And she suggested this. And to me, my dad was a biologist. I had worked in nursing homes. I, to me, and also as a former cop and police reporter, it was something that didn't immediately sort of freak me out. It was more like, that's interesting. And I didn't have that sort of yuck feeling, number one. And number two, I agree that it is, it sounds pretty um, arcane. And for some people, they really would say, I could not do that work. But for me, it was immediately that the dog loved it. And when a dog is doing work that he or she loves, um, you, I kind of go along for the ride. In other words, it really affects how you feel about the work sure. because the dog is having a really good time and it's important work, right? And people do need a resolution. Uh, they need to know where their loved one is or you know, sometimes if it's a police investigation for that investigation to go forward, you, you need that resolution. So it was that combination to me that made it um, appealing. Mm. All right. We have about four minutes left. Now, one thing I've heard about dogs that makes sense to me is that when something's wrong, they're barking too much or they're acting up or they're biting the mailman it's usually because their energy is misdirected. Is that true? And what, what, what's your feeling about that? My feeling is that dogs are dogs, and they're complicated, and they are all different. And I think that for us humans, we've gotten to this place where um, it's really hard for people who are working full-time and with kids and distractions to concentrate on really looking at and understanding what's happening with the dog and what's happening in that dog's brain. And I say this even for myself, that sometimes I try to figure out with Coda what's going on here, right? And stepping back and being able to think about that. I don't think in some ways that a dog barking at a mailman is misdirected, right? The dog is really reacting to, there's a stranger in the yard, he comes every day, he drops stuff, and then he leaves and you never invite him in. (laughs) Mm, Sure. Right? sense. Yeah, very interesting. All right, tell me, um, let's get your message. What, if you have one thing 
to tell our listeners if they get one thing out of this program. What's your message for our listeners about your wonderful book, What the Dog Knows? What people have told me is that it has made them understand their own dogs or other people's dogs better. And even, as a friend said, you made me understand my cat. And I think that being able to see how complicated and wonderful animal minds are is what I would love people to come away with when they've read this book. Mm. Thank you so much for being on the program. It's really wonderful. Tell us how people can get your book again. Thank you for having me, Patricia. It's, uh, I have a website, catwarren, C-A-T-W-A-R-R-E-N.com, and I've actually got video there of solo training and um, photos and excerpts um, of so in places to click to buy the book. All right. It's really great. Well, we, I, we do have maybe a minute or two left, but, you know, something I just want to share is when I think of, um, oh, the two people that had the beautiful cats, the magicians, who am I thinking of? The, the um, incredible magicians and the, the beautiful cat actually was protecting the owner and caused damage to the owner. Yes. These are yes. very two big performers. It'll come to me in a minute. Um, and, and yet he said, I don't want you to put that cat down. It was a big cat. You know, I, I remember this. It was, it was I, in a Las Vegas performance, I think. Yes, and I saw them. They were both incredible. But uh, it will come to me in a minute. Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy. Yes. And, you know, Roy, although he was damaged and uh, he couldn't talk for a while, he loved that animal. And I think they still have those animals because he understood yes. the animal was trying to protect him. Yes. Yes. And I do think it's just um, uh, understanding animals just takes years and years and years, and I'm still working on it. And that's also what's fun about the book and just, you know, I don't think I could work with tigers. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, But... dogs just continue to me to be such a revelation. All right, and thank you so much for being on the program. It was really wonderful. Cat Warren, What the Dog Knows, Scent Science, and the Amazing Ways Dogs Perceive the World, catwarren.com. Thanks, Cat. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, stay tuned. We're coming up with our second interview right here on voiceamerica.com. I'm Patricia Raskin. We'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Patricia Raskin's Positive Living. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 